Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Pastoral Thoughts Podcast. This is your host, Jack Young. And today we have back uh, Brother David Angersath, and he was just uh, at our church on Sunday preaching. And then also last Wednesday as well, he did the Bible study, but he is a unique preacher. He makes pottery while he's preaching. That's right. How did this all begin, Brother Angersath? Wow, how did it begin? Well, I guess it began uh, in earnest when I surrendered to the Lord in 2003. How old were you at 2003? In 2003, I was 56. Uh, So I had surrendered to the Lord having been a professing Christian for about 30 years before that. Um, And there's a difference between surrendering to serve versus surrendering to get saved. Mm -hmm. So when I actually surrendered totally in 2003, uh, the Lord led me to go to Bible school. Now, up until that time, the 30 years before that, I had been earning my living making pottery Mm -hmm. on a potter's wheel. I had my own little studio in South Florida, a little town called Stewart on the East Coast down there. And I didn't think much about what I was going to do while I was in Bible school. I was just kind of didn't, you know, and to my shame, 30 years of professing Christian, I really knew nothing about the Bible. So Bible college was uh, just your declaration to the Lord that you that you're surrendered, whatever. You it is. I mean, do. when I surrendered, I just felt that overwhelming conviction to go to Bible school. And I guess mm-hmm. part of that is the way the surrender came about is that the Lord put me under a very serious physical affliction, mm-hmm. but he combined that with just like a childlike knowledge of a doctrine called the judgment seat of Christ. And as you know, that's the doctrine that tells us that uh, all born again believers, anyone who's saved will stand before God one day and give an account as to what they have done. Our works will be judged as to what the motives were. When you, we get you, you and I just got done having lunch with uh, Mike Watson, Pastor Mike Watson, and you were over with him. And uh, he was. we were talking a little bit about there's a doctrine going around that um, the Christians are going to go through the tribulation. And uh, part of the argument is by this crowd is that the reason why we have a Laodicean church age, the reason why the Christians are so lax, the reason why they think they're called to a vacation instead of a vocation, yeah, I got yeah, that from you, yeah. Um is because they just think they're going to get raptured out of here before anything gets bad. And we made mention of this at lunch, is that the motivation for service in the Christian life is that any moment you can stand before a thrice holy God and give an account for your life. Amen. So the judgment seat of Christ is a motivator. It should be. It was for me. In 2003, it it motivated you. It was that conviction of knowing that up until that point, I had not done a single thing that might have survived what the Bible calls that fiery trial. Basically, what the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 3 is that our works our, our works will go through a spiritual fire, and if they're done in our own strength, it's like wood, hay, or stubble going through a fire that comes out as ashes. But if we allow the Lord to do those works through us, not in our strength, but in his, then those works will come through that spiritual fire as Gold, silver, so, and precious stones. And, and it will endure. Mm-hmm. And um, so when the Bible says, knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. Mm-hmm. Does the meaning of that terror mean the terror of the Lord towards the unsaved or the terror of the Lord towards the saved? 
Well, Paul was definitely writing to believers. Right. And that's the terror of the Lord. You know, people maybe don't realize this, and, and maybe it's not as strong if you're not using a King James Bible. I'm not sure. But uh, our King James Bible is very clear about one of God, God the Father's main attributes is that he is a great and terrible God. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And we think of that word terrible as always being something negative, something Mm -hmm. to be avoided. But in the case, the way that Bible is used, when it talks about the terror of the Lord, uh, we will be terrified because of his overwhelming presence and power. And it's just, it's a terrifying thing to a human being. So knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, I'll give you another verse in Philippians Paul said, work out your own salvation with fear Fear and and trembling. trembling. It's the same concept. Listen, if you're saved, then have that respect, that really fear of the Lord, which is the beginning of wisdom, the beginning of knowledge. It's it's life. And it it is a reverential fear. As well as just a real fear. And so um, I remember, I have a bookmark. Um, It's all wilted and withered and everything, but it means a lot to me. And I didn't get saved until I was 22. Um. My grandmother, before I was age 22, gave me a bookmark. I think it was for my birthday or something along with a card. And it says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And that um, uh, scripture before salvation kind of, I just thought, you know, grandma's trying to get on to me or whatever, (laughs) you know, and I didn't like it. Um, And, but it meant so much to me, you know, Proverbs that, where does wisdom enter into your heart? It enters in when you have the fear of the Lord. That's yeah. the beginning of wisdom. It's a very good thing. Yes. And, and, um, yeah, so that that led me to go to Bible school, uh, learn the Bible. I didn't think about much about what I would do while I was there. Uh, about halfway through Bible school, uh, the Lord sold our pottery shop for us, which was about... 600 miles uh, away from where the school was. And uh, during uh, my first year and a half of school, I'd been making pottery uh, in my off hours. And then every few weeks, we'd take a trip down to the studio, which was open all this time, mm-hmm. and would, would finish the work, fire it and glaze it and so forth. But anyway, didn't think much about it. Uh, when I finally graduated, now being filled up with <laughs> the Bible and probably being filled up with the spirit. Um, I just wanted to get into ministry and I didn't, I didn't know exactly what that might be, but after helping a pastor at a church for about eight months in South Florida, uh, the Lord opened up a door for me to uh, preach on the judgment seat of Christ, mm-hmm. something that I'd started studying then when I was in school. And, um, and since that day we've been on the road full time. It's been a little over 15 years now. So your, yeah. your ministry just took off? It took off with the help of some really uh, dear brothers in Christ mm-hmm. that uh, knew what I was doing, and they recognized the importance of uh, the doctrine of the judgment seat of Christ. Now, keep in mind, this was 2007 when I graduated, and you know I, I don't think it's changed over the last 40 or 50 years, but we all think, rightly so, that this rapture of the church could happen at any moment. Mm-hmm. And... If you're familiar with the timetable, it's shortly after the rapture up in the air somewhere mm-hmm. will be the judgment seat of Christ. Amen. So uh, knowing the timely, time-sensitive nature of, of either educating or reminding believers about the fact that, hey, one day you're going to stand before God and give an account. 
So it goes right back to your idea that uh, people think uh, we, we have liberty as Christians, mm-hmm. and we have the liberty to do what we want, and we mm-hmm. have free will. But most people that know anything about the Bible uh, and are serious about their, their spiritual walk, they're not going to take advantage of that liberty. Right. And as Paul said, don't use that liberty for his occasion to the flesh, mm-hmm. but get out there and do something for the Lord. Yes. Knowing, therefore, the terror of the Lord, we, we persuade right. them. Yeah. yeah. So that's definitely to believers. Yes. And, uh, yeah, our God is a loving Heavenly Father. Uh, but you think about your earthly father, I mean, at least in the home that I grew up in, that's who the buck stopped with. And so sure. if you got in trouble, I mean, that was the long arm of the law. It was dad coming home. And the right kind of fear for a father is also a it's a reverential fear. And then it's also a loving fear because if we really love Christ, and that's the number one commandment in the Bible, love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, soul, and mind, it's kind of like uh, I heard the, the story of the child who wouldn't participate with his, with his peers and doing something wrong. Okay. And, uh, yeah. and so they said, oh, you're just afraid of what your old man uh, yeah. this will do to you. And he says, no. <laughs> I'm just afraid of what, if I do this, what that will do to him. Oh, wow. Great. And so there is a two-way yeah. yeah. street there. But, yeah, we'll, we'll give an account for the Lord. And when you talk about reverential fear, uh, I can't put my finger on that verse, but there's a, there is a verse, I think it's in Hebrews, that within that one verse it talks about reverence and fear. And so there's more to it than just the reverential respect, so to speak. And I get my definition from Psalm 119, verse 120. Uh, that says, my tre- my flesh trembleth uh, for fear. I am afraid of thy judgments. Mm-hmm. So it's a specific, t- specific tie-in to the judgment seat of Christ. It's a healthy thing. It says in 2 Timothy, we have not been given in the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of sign mind. We haven't given the spirit of fear, but we've given the ability to fear, a healthy fear, the fear mm-hmm. of the Lord. So yeah, well, I'm afraid of God's judgment. And to this day, I oftentimes think, because I preach on the judgment seat of Christ almost every week, and even the messages that aren't tied directly to preparing for it still have aspects of preparing for the judgment seat of Christ. And I oftentimes think, am I doing most of this preaching for my own benefit? And it could be. More (laughs) more than anyone else, I need to be reminded. The best messages that we preach are the ones we preach to ourselves. Amen. Yeah. It's a good reminder. I think Christians, it should be the forefront of their mind. You're going to be judged one day. So take advantage of these opportunities because mm-hmm. that's another thing, as you know, brother. We are given opportunities every minute of every hour of every day to do things that please the Lord mm-hmm. and that would potentially then survive that fiery trial at the judgment seat. Amen. And um, so how did you come up? Was there an inspiration or somebody say, hey, you know what, it would be a blessing if you made pottery while you're preaching. Now, how does pottery tie into the judgment seat of Christ? So to do it briefly, I would say this. Uh, of course, the Bible says that God is a potter, and he made us out of clay, and he used his hands to do it. That's Isaiah 64, 8. Okay? Uh, we know that Adam was made from the dust of the ground. That dust was clay. The name Adam means red-brown earth. It's mm-hmm. just on and on. Uh, we had a Sam Gipp was here this uh, last few days, mm-hmm. right in Saturday. And uh, he talked about how even Job, who had no Bible, knew that he had been made out of clay, and that one day that clay would go it back returned. to the dust again. 
And he even said in, in Job 10, it says, thy hands have made me and fashioned me together round about. So Job knew all that without even having a Bible. So basically, the, the fascinating thing about clay that most serious Bible students have no way of knowing, but being a potter, uh, this is something I realized. Let me, let me back up a little bit. Clay has a, it's a single most abundant solid material on planet Earth. Mm-hmm. So it stands to reason God made it abundant for a couple of reasons. Number one, he wanted to show man that, hey, you're not too special. Uh-huh. You know, I'm making you out of clay, mm-hmm. not gold, not silver, not nothing like that. But number two, it's this, if it's a single most abundant solid material, you would think clay must have a whole bunch of different things it can be used for, and it does. Yes. I mean, most brick is nothing but clay. Um, and pretty much every civilization on the face of the earth has some sort of clay vessel. Is that true? Oh, oh definitely. Yeah. 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 It, it, but I mean, it, it, it's, it's even in modern day and even in the industrial age, we're using clay in the, the steel industry and the electrical industry. And uh, it's used in the motion picture industry for claymation. And it's, it's used in different products. It's used for the tiles of the space shuttle. All these, I mean, kaopectate clay, kaolin is clay, uh, porcelain in your teeth. That's a type of clay porcelain. I go on and on. Mm-hmm. Look at, uh, all of those uses of clay require that the clay be processed. So the tie-in to us is that if we are going to fulfill our potential to please our Savior, and that's why we were created Revelation 4.11, mm-hmm. Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for Thou hast created all things, and for Thy pleasure they are and were created. If we're going to bring Him the pleasure that He deserves to the fullest extent that we could do, then he needs to not only get us saved, mm-hmm. that's the beginning, but then he wants to sanctify us. And I could say the clay process, an earthly potter puts clay through eight distinct stages. God puts a saved person through seven particular stages, eight if you count the salvation as one of those stages. Mm. Now, salvation isn't a process, but it does launch a process it's an called event sanctification. That starts a process, exactly. yeah. So I try to make that very clear. Mm-hmm. A salvation is a decision, and it's a one-time decision. And, and once you're saved, uh, you know, we agree that you cannot lose that salvation. It's eternal security. There's just so many verses that uh, yeah, absolutely. drill down on that doctrine. From Genesis um, to Revelation. Amen. Yep. So, but salvation, a one-time decision. Sanctification, a moment-by-moment decision. Mm-hmm. You're either going to cooperate with it, and for a while or for a long time or whatever, and you can change your mind back and forth in and out. So the potter puts clay through eight distinct stages. God puts us through eight stages of sanctification, the first being salvation. And from there, the clay process pictures in order the sanctification process. So that's the main message that I try to convey to every church I go out. Uh, now, when I started out uh, on the road 15-plus uh, years ago, I had the one message, and it, I tried to do it in an hour, and I couldn't really do it. So we took two sessions to do it, and then over the years, I've gotten more bold in my request to have three sessions to do it. Sure. And it's, there's just so much there. And it's really not explaining so much the judgment seat of Christ or what it is, which I, I do go into that, but the big part of the message is how do believers prepare for it? Mm-hmm. And they prepare for it by cooperating with or embracing that sanctification process. Mm-hmm. For example, so the, I told you salvation 
Uh, Peter, the, I get that eight-stage process, by the way, from Second Peter 1, where Peter says, okay. add to your faith virtue, the virtue knowledge, to knowledge temperance, temperance patience, to patience godliness, to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness charity. So charity is the end of the eight-stage sanctification process. And by the way, the Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians 13, charity never faileth. And he's got a whole bunch of verses before that that talk about, uh, though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, Though I give my body to be burned, I do it without charity. It profiteth me nothing. So just to fast forward and give you a synopsis of the whole thing. If we are going to have our works, what the Bible calls good works, uh, survive the fiery trial at the judgment seat of Christ, they need to be done while we are, I could say it in two ways, abiding with the Lord. Another way to say that is while partaking of his divine nature of charity. Mm -hmm. And charity is the final stage of an eight-stage sanctification process. It's on the so top, that's, top that's exactly, of every uh, list of Christian attributes. Yeah, it is. It is. Yeah. And it's, boy, if you've got a Bible that doesn't have the word charity in it, yeah. you've really been shortchanged. Yeah. And that's how, is, how is charity different from love? How is it different? Well, I'll tell you, most people don't realize the word charity is, is like five of those six letters are the exact five of uh, six letters in the word Christ. Mm-hmm. Uh, I guess charity might have seven letters, but the five that say uh, in order, Jesus Christ, the word Christ is almost like charity. We don't think of those as being the same. Charity is a Christian type of love, and it's a, it's a special kind of love. It's a, uh, a love where you're not, uh, a, not a selfish love in any way. Um, and, and it's an action, right? It is. It's love in action, you could say that. Mm-hmm. But listen, uh, the reason you don't find the word charity in the Old Testament of our Bible, because in order, the way God uses that word, in order to express true charity, you have to have Christ in you. And that's why I mentioned those words are so similar, we don't think of it. The indwelling Christ. Yes. So we partake of his divine nature of charity, and then that's, while you're doing that, you're abiding with the Lord. He is literally just using your vessel of clay to, to please himself, to bring himself pleasure through your yielded, vessel, mm-hmm. allowing him to do what he wants to do through you. That sounds like it shouldn't be so easy, but it's not. You know, when I was in, um, uh, just graduated high school, I had a job in uh, St. Paul, Minnesota. They were building a new bridge over the Mississippi River, and they needed a, uh, the Iron Workers Union required that they have a lifeguard on the river, just in case someone fell off one of the girders while they were building it. Well, in order to get that position, which I eventually got, I had to go to lifeguard school. One of the things they teach you in the lifeguard school is it's very dangerous to rescue a drowning person. Why? Because that person is just flailing away. He's desperate, and he's just flailing with his arms. And when you approach him, you try to encourage that person to what? Just stop moving. (laughs) Just let go. Just yield. Mm -hmm. But it's hard to do. So you have to be very careful. A lot of people are actually killed trying to save someone that's drowning mm-hmm. because they can't swim. Mm-hmm. So uh, it's the same thing with this. It is hard to yield. We have a body of flesh that wants to do what it wants to do. Right. And it's got its own agenda. Mm-hmm. We know if we're born again, we still have an old nature, mm-hmm. an old man inside of us, a sin nature. And he wants to do those things that are contrary to that new man, the Holy Spirit. And, and I really, you know, I really think what you're teaching and also the, um, the illustration given to us by Scripture again and again about that we're the clay and he's the potter, 
runs contrary to modern day philosophy of Christianity. A lot of um, uh, popular churches and things is kind of like uh, God is going to help you reach your yeah. potential, yeah. and you really define what that potential is. And uh, you know, God is your helper; He's your rabbit's foot, kind of a thing that to help you along the way yeah, to reach yeah. your best life now type yeah. thing. It comes all about us, mm-hmm. and that's just contrary to what the real Bible's teaching. Yeah, it's yeah, all ab- about Him. Yeah, absolutely. And um, what do you think that the wheel? What does the wheel represent to you? Well, it can represent a lot of different things. In the sanctification process, it's the fifth stage, and that's where we're partaking of God's divine nature of patience. Mm -hmm. So the wheel shows you a picture of the clay is on the wheel. It's spinning round and round and round. The potter doesn't really shape the clay unless the wheel, uh, unless the clay is on the wheel, and then the wheel has to be moving for it to be shaped. Mm -hmm. So the wheel is a picture of God allowing us to go through certain circumstances while the circumstances themselves are shaping us and molding us with his pressure, Mm -hmm. and then he's conforming us into the image of his dear son. I mean, there's a lot of analogies between the sanctification process and the clay process just in the wheel itself where he opens up the clay. First, he has to center the clay. That's the first part of the wheel. Mm -hmm. And if we're going to do something that matters for the Lord Jesus Christ, we need to be centered on him. Um, Jesus Christ said in John 15, um, he said, I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. And then he says a couple of verses later, here is my father. He says in that John 15, 5, and he goes on to say, without me, you can do nothing. Mm-hmm. And truth be told, uh, in a lot of ways, without, in, in every way, we can do nothing without him. Mm-hmm. But in a special way, anything that survives a fiery trial at the judgment seat of Christ has to be done with his help. It's him doing it through us. We have to get out of our own way and get out of his way. Um, do, yeah. do you think that, that um, the, the spinning wheel would represent time at all? Well, sure. It could re- represent planet Earth going round and round and round, day after day, night after night. Going circumstances. On. These little circumstances that you think have are so insignificant, they mm-hmm. mean nothing. God is using all those little circumstances yeah. to, to get us in position, to shape us and mold us. And eventually the Bible talks about God's end game for all of us is to become what the Bible calls a, a vessel unto honor, sanctified and meet for the master's use, prepared unto every good work. There you're getting a summation of my whole message. So, so we, yeah, so we yeah. get, we get shaped by yielding to God day after day. Yep. And that shaping process is, is going to be a process yep. of time. And, uh, you know, the old saying is we, you know, overestimate our year, but we underestimate our five years. Like if you made an incremental change to each and every day in your walk with the Lord or letting the Lord use you, that you would be a completely different vessel and your capacity would be completely different than you were, uh, you know, do that for for day after day for for several years. One of the mistakes I think that uh, most young preachers make, especially they're getting, jumping in the ministry, going out to start a church or something like that is they think they get someone saved and then, you know, about take them through a discipleship program. And six weeks later, they have a super Christian on their hands. But really uh, it takes sometimes decades for the Lord to truly shape and, um, and produce a very mature and strong Christian. It just takes time, you know, the, the time in the word of God, time, uh, with God, yielded to God, 
and God shapes and molds and makes us over a process of time. And I would say, Pastor, that in, in some respects, all of us are works in progress in certain areas. You might have arrived, so to speak, in one area, mm-hmm. but then there's five or six other areas. God's still working on you. So, you know, not, no metaphor uh, or analogy is always a perfect. It's perfect, no. But uh, so it's it's different, yeah, different area. We are definitely, that's one of the things you should get from the clay. We are works in progress. Mm-hmm. Even Paul said, my brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended. So he, 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 didn't arri- Paul, he had not arrived. No, he has not arrived. Yeah. Every, none of us will totally, but that doesn't mean we shouldn't be striving. Right. And he said that. in Philippians 1, he that hath begun a good work in me shall perform it unto the day of Jesus Christ. And so specific that what, reference to the judgment seat of Christ. What was started. Yeah. yeah what yeah. was started the day he was born in the family of God is, is continuing. Right, exactly. So it doesn't matter if you're, you know, eight or 80, there's still a way that God is shaping your yeah. life. Yeah. And, you know, as you yield to him, you know, just think you've been on the road for 15 years, your capacity for service, because you've been in ministry service for 15, 15, is that what you said? Um, your capacity has increased. Mm-hmm. So there's certain things I can do now in the ministry that I, I it would have crushed me when I first started. Sure. sure. And, um, you know, all different tests. How about the fire? And, you know, Peter talks about so, there, the fiery trial, right. which is to try you. Yeah. How, how does that play into the so process? So there's actually two firings in the firing, pro, uh, the clay process. And those represent two different types of fiery trials for the Christian. So to number them, stage six is the first firing. We call Potters call that the low firing. And what happens in that low firing is that clay now becomes hard and it's no longer susceptible to getting soft by being exposed to water. Mm-hmm. That's important because the seventh stage is actually put a protective coating on that fired vessel, and that's called the glaze coating. And that glaze is usually suspended in water when it's applied, either by dipping or brushing or spraying. So, but the fiery trial, uh, the low firing represents a fiery trial of the flesh. So it says in um, the book of Proverbs that the fining pot is for silver and the furnace for gold, but the Lord trieth the hearts. So God wants to give us opportunities to harden, if you will, our character. And he does that by uh, allowing us Adversity. To be tempted mm-hmm. to go through a difficult situation, whatever it may be. Mm-hmm. And then we have the choice to yield to that temptation, to be crushed by that adversity, or whatever it may be. Or we could take advantage of some of the precious promises in our Bible, like mm-hmm. uh, the one that says, let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. When we're, feist, when we're uh, faced with a uh, a decision about giving in or being overcome by a trial, a temptation. We can give it into it or we can resist it, but not resist it in our own strength. We've got, we've got the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. We've got the power of the Holy Spirit living inside of us. So let us ask for that, that, that strength to resist. And then when we are able to successfully resist or go through that mm-hmm. whatever trial, then we give God the thanks for that. Yes. Okay? And, and by doing that, that strengthens our mm-hmm. character over time. Mm-hmm. Now, that's different from the final firing, which is the high firing. And that's where we're going to actually have an opportunity to suffer for well-doing. And that's where the verse, right. it's First Peter talks about, beloved, think it not strange. 
right. concerning that fire trial. You're, you're going to suffer here on this earth. You're either going to suffer with Christ or without him. Yeah. And then if you're a Christian, and yea, all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Suffer persecution. Yeah. So and think so of you it can this way. Suffer with him. A, a trial in the flesh. Let's say I'm tempted to do something wrong and I give into it. And because I gave into it, I suffer for it. And I, I say to myself, okay, I deserve that. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so that's, that's, that's kind what of the Bible a calls suff- suffering as an evildoer. Yeah. <laughs> Peter that's exactly like it. Yeah. But uh, the high firing, God's going to give you an opportunity to do something good and suffer for that. And that is hard. That is hard one to accept, to swallow. And he wants us to be joyful, recognizing that he gave us an opportunity to suffer for doing something good. Right. And the person that comes to mind in the Bible is Stephen, when he's stoned uh, at the end of Acts 7, and, and, he, and he's saying the last words out of his mouth are, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. That's someone partaking of God's divine nature of charity. Yeah. And, and he's got that love for those and souls. And in that trial, he could see Jesus. Yeah. As same as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego yeah, yeah. could see Jesus, but it was in the fire. Yeah, and um, you know, there New Testament is. talks about if we suffer with Him, we shall also reign with Him. Yeah. So that would be a picture of also our final use as a vessel. If we have identified with the life of Christ in this earth, people are going to see Christ in us, and they're going to persecute Christ, not yeah. us. So we're yeah. fel- we have the fellowship of His sufferings, and then later on, since we identified. This side, um, on that side, we share in his glory. We're partakers of his glory um, because we'll, we'll just be shedding the glory of God or, or uh, reflecting the glory of I God. I think so, yeah. Um, I, uh, I came across an illustration about gold being refined. Um, and so in the process of smelting, this, if this isn't true, I don't want to hear about it. It's yeah, just, yeah. it's, it's preaches so good. I can't. Okay. okay. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, me. you know, you know, so it gets the rough, um, the rough gold, uh, ore that's all laden with all sorts of dirt and yeah. filth and everything else. And then throws it into the furnace or the, the kiln or whatever you want to call it. And so during that melting process, all the impurities come up. And so this happens many times. So the the um, the uh, the uh, metallurgist knows exactly what temperature to put the gold to, just like the Lord knows exactly what temperature you and I need. Yeah. He's not going to allow you to be tempted above that you're able. Yep. So he turns the temperature up to exactly what you and I can handle yep. by his grace, not yep. on our own. Um, and so he turns it up, melts the gold, the impurities bubble up and he scrapes it off and uh, turns it up again. And this is goes again and again and again and again. till finally the meddler just knows he's done when he can look over the gold and he sees his own reflection. Wow. I bet that's gold. true. I bet that sounds true. Cause you, you hear that pure no, gold yeah. reflects. Yeah. So he looks down as if in a mirror. And so you think that the Lord's sending you through a trial and he is it's an opportunity for all of those impurities inside of you to be released. All those um, sins that are hidden and tucked away and everything else that's being uh, released. The Lord is removing those from your life, sanctifying you. That's yep. part of the sanctification yep. process until finally 
uh, he, you know, he sees his own reflection in our life. And uh, of course, calls us to glory about that time when he's, it's all done. Uh, but, you know, similar to that earthen vessel, who Amen. has that treasure inside of it. Yeah, that's a great illustration. Yeah. And I, I, again, even if it's not true, I don't want to hear about it. It, pre, <laughs> it preaches. I think so. that is. I'm going to look that up. Yeah. <laughs> but I imagine so as well. Because yeah. yeah. pure gold is reflective. It, yes, is reflective. Yeah. 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 I, I'll add something to that because mm-hmm. I always thought, why does the Bible, instead of likening itself to gold, which is we know it's more valuable, at least mm-hmm. in the, on planet Earth, why does it liken itself to silver and so gold? And I started looking at that properties of those two metals. Mm-hmm. And the one thing that silver exceeds gold in is its reflectability. Ah, so okay. So the mirror of the word. Yeah. And plus silver is always kind of the common man's right commodity of sure. exchange, you know, more affordable, still yeah, more valuable, st- yes. more for the common man. Yeah. So those are a couple attributes of silver. Uh that are superior to gold, which is more valuable, it's rarer, it's more malleable. It has some amazing properties. Mm. And I guess we'll see a lot of that up in heaven. (laughs) Amen. Amen. That's good. Hey, so you recommended to me a book. Yeah. Leading on Empty. Amen. It's a great book. So how come you recommended that to me? Uh, Really, I don't know why I recommended it to you, because you personally probably don't need that book. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, It's just a book I tell a lot of people about. Leading on Empty is written primarily uh, for the benefit of people in full-time ministry, knowing the author obviously knew himself, a good example. Uh, A lot of people in full-time ministry experience burnout because of the demands of the position. So let me ask you this. What is so hard about ministry? Because you only have to work one day a week if you're in ministry. Yeah, and wouldn't that be really nice if that was true? And maybe if ministry is your job, mm-hmm. not your vocation or your calling, that's right. true. Right. But, you know, in the Bible-believing circle, um, I find most pastors are called to be pastors, mm-hmm. and it's, more, it's, a, it's above and beyond a full-time job. And as you know, um, pastors usually try to schedule maybe a day off a week, but that doesn't mean they'll get one. Mm-hmm. Pastors may try to schedule one or two weeks off a year, but that doesn't mean they'll get that either. I've talked to many pastors that uh, uh, they'll schedule a vacation and two or three days into that vacation, they get a call. Somebody died or somebody something. died. Somebody's in the hospital. Somebody needs something. And so that ends that. Yeah. So leading on empty, it's just got a bunch of principles, uh, not just spiritual stuff, but physical things about uh, how your body is made to operate, not on adrenaline, which seems to be the energy source for too many people in full-time ministry mm-hmm. is adrenaline. And adrenaline was meant to be a backup system for when your body became depleted of endorphins, I believe it's called. That's really your true energy source. Yes, and it has something to do with your uh, serotonin levels as well. If you have a, a good rhythm to life, uh, your energy sh- source should be, have to do with your uh, serotonin level and also, would, would, you, would you say? Endorphins? Well, endorphins are, are when a crisis oh, okay. kicks in, and those endorphins help you run from like the saber-toothed tiger oh, okay. it is the d- or the inv- is more like invading okay. uh, arm. Oh, adrenaline. Endorf- yeah, endorphins adrenaline is that feel-good yeah, uh-huh. feel uh, drug when you're running, you get the runners high and things okay. like that. Um, but if you're running on adrenaline, that means that your body is clicked into crisis mode. Right. 
Uh, and so your, your uh, sympathetic nervous system has kicked in. Your parasympathetic nervous system comes and, you know, soothes your body, but you're, you're in that fight or flight mode. And that's why God gave us that adrenaline in the first place. That was a, right. a very needed for, yeah. you know, yeah. for warfare, but you know, your, 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 your tribe, you're being invaded. You've got to run from the enemy. Um, and too many people in ministry are operating on adrenaline. That's right. the author's point. And I can throw a little bit into that. So yeah. being in the ministry is like being a small business owner, uh, but it's on a whole nother level because most likely the pastor, um, other than having, you know, customers or whatever, you can, you know, sh you shut down your business and you're going to open up again the next day. Mm -hmm. You're never shut down. Um, and, you know, in our modern society in which you live, that you are always accessible, you know, and a lot of pastors feel, I've got some pastor friends that are very good at this. I'm not, but like, the, you know, they shut their phone off. Like I have guys that never answer their phone. Mm. I just think good for good for you, man. <laughs> but they'll get back to you when they're going to get back to how you. Do you know? How but, do their but, church members feel about that? I, yeah, I don't know. Probably, yeah, probably, uh, probably not. Uh, not I guess good. they know. And um, and so you're constantly, and they're always one phone call away from crisis. And there's always somebody or something or uh, somebody's dealing with something. And then I, I think if you're a good pastor, that you um, you as you know, Christ bore our infirmities. You are to an extent going to take on sure. the infirmities of your church people yeah. and sure the success that you would identify with, but also the failures as well. If someone really bottoms out and, you know, ruins their life or their marriage, you know, the marriage is on, uh, you know, is a wreck or whatever you would take that, uh, personally. Mm -hmm. And, uh, so 24 seven, there's no getting away from it. Right. Now working an hourly job when I was, you know, I was a meat cutter through college six years and I would work like a dog when I was in there. And I actually liked it. I liked working my, with my back versus my brain. Okay. And so, you know, I'm very involved in ministry, then also college and everything else. Uh, Bible college, you're using your brain a lot. We, we were very involved in ministry. But, you know, when I walk into the meat shop, man, I'm down stacking the pallets. Yeah, yeah. I'm making a list of stuff I need to cut. And I'm, I'm Physical. cutting, cutting, cutting. Yeah. yeah. And, um, very little to no breaks is fine, you know. When I had fine. my pottery shop, I, I because I was always thinking about what I could be making mm -hmm. that might appeal to customers. Yeah, and I, my prayer was always, Lord, why don't you just send somebody in here to order three thousand of something, <laughs> so I can mindlessly <laughs> shut, shut your brain off shut and, my just, brain off and, and just, just do, do it, right? You know, and that's really that never happened. And but, since you were a creator too, that's another avenue about being a pastor. Not only um, do you um, try to, to help shepherd your people outside of the pulpit, but also inside of the pulpit, you might be doing three to four different messages to the same group of people every yeah. single week. Yeah. And so there's always the need to be fresh. There's a need to be creative. Uh, and then there's always something to plan, to prepare for. And then any ministry that you start, um, you know, you don't expect what you don't inspect. And so there's kind of an oversight over uh, the different areas of, of ministry. So your hand is kind of a little bit in everything, even though you have different people appointed to watch over different areas of the ministry. Um, and so it can be always on your, on your mind and always in your heart. And then also I think this wouldn't, this book would not apply to a lazy pastor or a pastor who did it for a job instead of a calling. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and, but th there is a sense of male pride um, 
that I think that a lot of men have and men identify their value by what they do. Sure. A lot of times and guys are interested in things, you know, women are more interested in relationships than, than men are. Men are, you know, um, said the other week in the pulpit talking about women, I says, you know, um, they're more geared towards relationships and guys are more geared towards things. Even when Proverbs says, he that findeth a wife findeth a good thing. Hey, come, come here, I got this new thing. Let me introduce you to her. <laughs> you there know, you and uh, and so you know, success is uh, very important to a lot of men. Yeah. And so, a lot of successful pastors, uh, a lot of times, we can allow our male pride and our male ego to get involved in the ministry. And so, we have to make it succeed yeah. because our own identity is wrapped up in this thing. Yeah. And uh, and so. Here's a few statistics from this book you recommended to me. It came, yeah. on, it came in on Saturday, and I, I read it on, on my day off. Yeah, <laughs> but um, eight, okay, 80% of pastors believe that pastoral ministry affects their families negatively. 33% say that being in ministry is an outright hazard to their family. 75% report that they have had significant stress-related crisis at least once in their ministry. 50% feel unable to meet the needs of the job. 90% feel that they're inadequately trained to cope with the ministry's demands. 25% of pastors' wives see their husband's work schedule as a source of conflict. And it goes on and on and on. I won't read you all the statistics, but um, my peers, as of now, that are my age, um, 8 out of 10 of them are not going to make it to the end. They're not going to finish well. Yeah, that's not good. No, 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 it's terrible. So I think his um, some of his recommendations are is to do your best to delegate those many things mm-hmm. that you could potentially delegate. I think he mentions the the number between eighty and eighty five percent what a pastor occupies his time with could be and should be delegated, delegated to others. But we know, as you know, that takes time and effort to, to adequately train. And you got to find the Lord will provide the right person, hopefully. But I mean, you got to train that person and you know still monitor them a little bit from time to time. But so you try to figure out what are those things I can delegate, and then number two, you find out what things and people, people or things, deplete me from energy versus what things energize me, and uh, and try to get a balance on those things. In other words, try to limit the time mm-hmm. you spend with people and or things that deplete you and try to maximize the time with people and or things that, that replenish you. you. Yeah, exactly. And focus on that replenishment. And he gets into the idea of uh, Sabbath. Yeah, excellent. And, and that, uh, that's one of the first things out of the block in the Bible. It is. And uh, so you have this question. Did God rest on the seventh day because he was tired? Right. Yeah. No. no. And um, and so there's a principle of the Sabbath there, and you think about uh, the Jewish people, the most productive people in the whole entire universe. I mean, you put a you know a Jew coming to your country as a refugee, and uh, you know one generation la- later they're running all your nation's wealth and <laughs> everything else. And so God put that success in that, that DNA of the Jew. One of the things that they do. Though, no matter how hard they work, I, you know, I remember um, hearing Ben Shapiro talk about his Sabbath day. Okay. I mean, he, yeah. so he's totally plugged in. He's got this huge business, this huge platform. 
Um, and he, he, like other other Jewish people, could say, well, couldn't I get more, couldn't I get more done if I just went ahead and worked the seventh day? I feel young and energetic. Mm-hmm. No, they shut everything off. Yep. They, they don't touch any electronics. Um, they don't even cook. I mean, they, you know, they just have one day that's rest, sacred writing, spend time with the family, uh, things along this nature. The world would do well to take advantage of that principle. Absolutely. And God so, thought so highly of it. Not only did he himself rest on the Sabbath, we talked about earlier, Jesus Christ always made, during his earthly ministry, took time to break away when he needed to. But think about how God reinforced that principle when the nation of Israel was being led by Moses through the desert. And what did they do? He supplied them with manna. And he made sure, even though that manna would rot and spoil after 24 hours, he said, when you pick that stuff up on the day before the Sabbath, because I don't want you going out and picking it up on the Sabbath, I'm going to make sure that stuff doesn't rot or spoil Mm -hmm. and that it'll last you twice as long. So he reinforced that whole principle of the Sabbath having that day off is yeah. very important. Yeah, and you think about um, not only did he have the Sabbath day for his people, and then, yeah, even the manna, that he, that daily bread, yep. there was a special day bread, yep. and that was the Sabbath day where you didn't even have to go out and gather it. Yep. And so even that was work. I mean, how much yeah. work is going out and gathering breakfast? And that principle carries over into what the Bible calls the Jubilee. Right. Where every so many years there was a, that you would rest 50, the 50th, land. 50th uh, yeah. year was the year of Jubilee. But every seven years, you would let your land rest. Yes. And God says, you're going to get more out of your land if you let that uh, take a sabbatical every seven years. And that's exactly what this guy's uh, argument is, too, is that every seven years that a pastor ought to take a sabbatical. uh, And this is for rest and rejuvenation. He says, because if you don't, here's what's going to happen. He says, you're going to become a manager instead of a leader. Yeah. Instead instead of a man with vision and rejuvenation, refreshment. He says, you're just going to manage what you've built instead of get that fresh vision from God. And um, another thing he makes mention of is there's seven feasts. Yep. And so throughout, not only do they have the Sabbath once, once a week, the Sabbath year once every seven years, they also had seven feast days where they were commanded to set aside these, this time uh, and celebrate some aspect of the Lord. And so in their busy, productive lives, these Jews were supposed to take a, a, a rest. Um, here's a verse that uh, he highlighted. <laughs> and I'll get into the next. Another thing that he highlighted in that book, so we were talking about it at lunch, but um, Psalms 127.2. It is vain for you to rise up early, to sit up late, to eat the bread of sorrows, for so he giveth his beloved sleep. So how often in the ministry we've risen up early, stayed up late, and ate the bread of sorrows when uh, it, it should have been time where we would be uh, given his beloved sleep. I think part of the emphasis of Wayne uh, Cordero's book, Leading on Empty, uh, was the idea that a pastor, having read that book and maybe accepted the principles in there, knowing that they're scriptural, Mm-hmm. would take that book and give it to the, maybe some of the leaders in his church mm-hmm. so that he could present the church with the idea, look, at, I need a sabbatical. I need to take a couple of weeks off a year. I need to take every few years, I need to take the sabbatical. 
Yeah, do it long, long ahead of time. Yeah. Because a lot of times what happens, the, the pastor, and I've known him, you've known him. I mean, I've known a lot of guys that, uh, you know, had heart attacks in their 50s and, you know, uh, strokes and everything else, stress-related illness. And a lot of times, and I, I know of a church close friend of mine, assistant pastor, the pastor was just like, I've, I've either got to have a sabbatical or I'm done. Yeah. And that happens a lot, unfortunately, in churches where, uh, you know, if you're a younger pastor, you just took a church, you know, he talks about, you know, talking to the leaders, perhaps getting them this book. Um, you know, you ought to communicate with the leaders of your church, you know, what what it's like to be a pastor, um, you know, what it's like to, you know, um, watch over the flock and, and have vision and be fresh every Sunday sure. uh, and things like this. And built into either writing or however you do it, that, you know, every, every seven years I'm a sabbatical, you know, understand that, you know, it's not that we want a vacation is that we need right. vacation. We need that time of unplugging and separating rejuvenization. Um, and then the church's responsibility is to help make that yes. happen. Uh, if they, if they truly love support, and, and what the best they can get from their pastor. And sometimes, um, you know, again, you know, you, we, I don't think we should complain about our jobs. And I, I think my people know um, how hard I work. I know my wife knows how hard I work. And I, I don't feel like I have to be like, oh, you know, uh, I work 12 hours. Like, but I love what I do, too. Sure. And nobody's holding a gun to my head making me do this. No. Um, I enjoy it. Um, and, and so, but I think, the people need to be communicated to, and they need to know um, it needs to be built into their mind that we want our pastor fresh. Now, one of the, one of the points that he makes in that book is so good. And I, you know, I need to, I'm supposed to preach at a, a church planners meeting next week. And I thought, man, I think I might, I'm going to incorporate this somehow. Um, it is uh, Christ said, the poor ye have with you always. So there's always somebody with this poverty of, of spirit or physically, financially, you name it, that needs to be ministered to. And they'll be back there waiting for you after you get back from vacation. Mm -hmm. uh, and he says, you know, if you're constantly meeting the needs of the poor and you don't take time to rejuvenate like the Lord did, you know, he'd go up into a mountain to pray. Uh, I've hiked mountains. It takes a while to get up there. And I've seen, uh, you know, Mount Hebron there in the north. That's yeah. a big mountain. There's a ski slope on it. And this is in the Middle East. I mean, it's high up there. There's snow on the thing. Uh, and so Christ would climb that thing to go up there and pray. And I imagine he's praying the whole time he's climbing up there. You know, he's taking days. And here he's the son of God. Uh, and he's taking time to connect with his father. And re Ron, I remind you about Christ's ministry. He only had three years of ministry. Yeah. Of course, his ministry is perfect. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I could, I could, pa you know, pastor for several million years. Another point he makes too about Christ's ministry, when Christ resurrected and went to heaven, there was still tens of thousands of lepers here on this earth, yeah. tons of blind eyes. Oh, yeah. There was all sorts of people groups who had never heard the gospel one time. But he just came and did what his father had for him to do, you know. So the poor you have with you always, and he makes this he makes this point in that book, um, is that the poor are going to be the same ones looking over your casket at your funeral. You know, you, you died an early death because you caused yourself so much stress, and they're going to say, looking at you, your corpse. Well, he should have taken better care of himself. Yeah. 
Or you think of how many pastors they um, sacrifice their family. Again, I don't think that's your people's fault. I think it's yours. Yeah. You know, you should have prioritized your life. Um, because really, ultimately, nobody makes you do anything. No, I think that's the, the book is helpful because, like, like I say, you're not a guy, as far as I know, that seems to have an issue with, um, you know, leading on empty. I don't believe you're close to leading on empty. Yeah. But just knowing the principles in this book would probably prevent you from ever getting to that point. Oh, it helped. The guy writing the book has already gotten past. <laughs> he was leading on empty for quite a while, which is what caused him to write the book. It, Pastor Big Church in Hawaii and um, just got sucked in from all directions. Yeah. You know, found... found uh, because like you, he loved doing what he's doing. He's right. not complaining. And so, and none of us yeah, do. so a lot yeah. of things he left off in his life, he, yeah. you know, diet and exercise. He talks about uh, yeah, all the yeah. benefits of that. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, diet and exercise are the very best thing that you can do for your life. If you yeah. care about yourself at all, yeah. diet and exercise. If you care about your family at all, you need to diet and exercise. Right. And you make mention of this. I heard you mention it twice, preaching to us, um, the matter of gluttony. Yeah. Is that a sin? Churros. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so gluttony and drunkenness are the same sin. So you're out there and you're a glutton, which we all are. Just we all eat. we're Americans. We all right? have the potential to be um, glutton. Yes, absolutely. Um, Isn't it interesting? <clears throat> so drunkard and glutton's the same. Go ahead. The first sin in the Bible had to do with eating. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, when the, when the Bible says that as it. Uh, was in the days of Noah, shall so it be when the yeah. Son of Man cometh? As they it was were in the days eating of life. and eating they were drinking. And drinking. Eating, yeah. eating, 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 eating. Um, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Food, it seems, what's tough about food is we all need it. Mm -hmm. But we were given the gift of food, good tasting food. Uh, and God made it taste good so that we would want to eat it. But like everything we do in the age we're living in, is we it, overdo it. And it can, no can be escape. It helps us escape the sorrows of uh, this life. You know, you, you know, you, go, you, you know, you give in to five minutes of mouth pleasure. You want and really what you're doing is you're robbing tomorrow of its happiness. I, it's I the same way as out. <laughs> it's the same thing as alcohol. And some people say, no, it's not because you know a drunk comes home and beats his. Not all drunks. No, you know, there's a lot of doctors and yeah. there's a lot of lawyers. There's a lot of politicians. I mean, look at Nancy Pelosi. <laughs> She's the most powerful woman in the United States, and she gets drunk every day of her life. I mean, she might not, but <laughs> I think she's an alcoholic. I know her husband is, recently got oh. busted. Um, Do you know why no one wants to preach on gluttony? Because there's always an elephant in the room. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I, you know, which is probably true. Yeah. But it, I, yeah. I've preached on it about three or four times because I have a clay message that deals with uh, idols. Yeah. And that's, that's one big one. Yeah. And every time that incredibly large person, very obese person, every time has thanked me. Oh, yeah. I'm talking about in different churches. There's always a few like that that may have a disease for that matter. Yeah. They have thanked yeah, me. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm not preaching at them. I'm just preaching what the Bible says. And it's good for every one of us. And, you know, I can tell you that, um, you know, you might be a pastor listening out there and, um, you know, you have a problem with eating too much. You really, you know, you're... You're robbing from tomorrow's funk. You know, you might be a highly functioning, obese person. You know, sure. um, and and that that's fine. But that eventually 
cost you. And it really costs you more now than you're actually willing to admit. It's same with, again, the doctor, lawyer, politician who, you know, every night when he goes home, he gets, he drinks or whatever. There, there is a, there is a cost to that. And there is a reason why you would be going to that Avenue. Um, you know, so he says in the book, you know, one of the, one of the things that, you know, we should be doing is, is taking care of that temple so we can get the, uh, the most amount of service out of it yeah. for the Lord. Yeah. And I can think of some people that, um, you know, and you can think, we all think of people that we love very dearly. We would love to have them around for a few extra sure. years. Sure. And um, not taking care of your body is not an act of faith. Because a lot of times, you know, well, you know, the, the Lord, you know, like, no, I think that instead of eating to feel good in the moment, uh, you know, he's a eat to feel good in the future. Like, how is this going to make me feel right. later on? So diet and exercise, nobody's too busy to, nobody's too busy to exercise. You know, leaders of the free world, CEOs, yeah. uh, leaders, of giant corporations, uh, find time to exercise very vigorously, you know, five times a week. Uh, there's nobody in ministry that really has an excuse not to exercise, exercise so good on so many different levels. It's, it's one of the biggest stress reducers out there. They say it's better than any drug on the market that will ever be on the market. Um, and, uh, exercise. And then also, like you said in the book, what replenishes you, what fills your tank? Um, a lot of times a highly productive person will feel guilty taking a day off or a fearful person, man, I got to keep all the wheels spinning in the machinery. Uh, but a person who would take the principle of Sabbath would get off alone and um, and do something that really replenishes or re- reinvigorates. Uh, and that's life. what individuals need to find for themselves. What is well, know, golf is a thing that replenishes me. I not only get replenished by playing golf because it, I am concentrating on something, mm-hmm. but it's not ministry. Mm-hmm. When I had my business, you know, you talked about a self-employed person can shut the doors and go home, but really, when it's your business can't you're always thinking about mm-hmm. it okay but still yeah you had the ability to hire someone to fill in those hours mm-hmm. for you or do whatever that but it's never it's always on your mind so i not only does the idea of playing golf uh replenish me but the idea that i know i'm going to play golf maybe two days from now or three days from now right i think the same principle is like when you're going to take a vacation mm-hmm. sometimes you get more enjoyment from the planning, planning then the vacation itself yes. could be very stressful and, uh, and energy depleting, <laughs> right. you know, especially if you got a bunch of little kids or whatever, but I'm just saying, you know, but you, you had that idea in your mind that, hey, hey, that the, uh, yeah. there's light at the end of the tunnel exactly. and, um, you know, I'm going to work really, really hard this week. And then Monday or whatever day, uh, you're taken off. Um, you're not going to, you know, that that is going to be your rejuvenation day. Yeah. So it's kind of like, um, he gives an illustration of, about Michael Jordan, which is really funny. Uh, so in 1993, Michael Jordan had the ability to play basketball, uh, but he, he didn't have the desire. Mm. And so a lot of guys who quit the ministry is they have the ability, but they don't have the desire. The desire has gone. And uh, what, so, what, so what did Michael Jordan do? He, Of course, a basketball player to take a 
sabbatical, he plays baseball. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and so he, he did something completely different, yeah. took a year off. And of course, he, his dad died. He was very close to his father. Uh, and so he just needed a mental break from basketball. And then he came back and he won two more championships for the Chicago Bulls under number 45 instead of number 23. Mm-hmm. And, and so there, there's times that you need to unplug. Um, Winston Churchill during World War II he said that I couldn't keep my mind off of the war. So here he's a prime minister. He's, um, you know, blood, toil, sweat, and tears, uh, which we say blood, sweat, and tears, but he said blood, sweat, toil, and tears. And, um, you know, he's he's uh, leading his country, and they're on the cusp of being overtaken by the Germans. Bombing of London's going on. So he would go back to... Um, What's the name of his property? Cart, cart, something well. Oh, I'm not sure. Ah, I can't remember. But Winston he would go Churchill? back there, yeah. and sometimes he'd lay brick. Another thing he did was he would paint. Oh, really? Okay. And so you see the leader of the, of, of uh, Britain, middle of World War II, he's out there painting his, his pond. Yeah. And what's he doing? He's taking a mental sabbatical. He's trying to rejuvenate so he can go back and fight the war. Um, when we were down at Jim Vineyard's church in Oklahoma City, he, uh, amazing guy. Um, most of us will never get uh, done what he got done in his, you know, 75 years, however long he lived, you know, if we lived 10 lifetimes. Um, but man, he, he'd go fishing. And when he went fishing, he would say this, you know, he'd say, let the world go to Hades, except he wouldn't use a Greek word. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going fishing. Okay. And so he'd go fishing for like 10 day fishing trip. Wow. But he understood that he don't understand that. that. So he'd go, you know, load everything up, go to Canada or he'd go fishing down in Mexico. And man, he, he was, he, he was no joke when he was fishing. Like he was, you know, he would work just as hard fishing as he did in the office, which is really funny. Um, my uh, dad and brother have been with him a bunch of different times. Uh, and, and my dad remembers one time he was there and there's some guys sitting around on the island that they were on in Canada. And this is like 12 miles over water. Yeah. Nothing around. No, it, no cell service, nothing, you know, just nothing around, no electricity. But the guys were sitting on the island and it was the middle of the day. They just got done eating lunch. And Brother Vineyard said, boys, we're not on vacation. We're fishing. <laughs> but I mean that, that's how he got that relaxation yeah. is that that's you know he unplugged went out and did something rejuvenating uh and you know was able to make it through you know, come back fresh and wouldn't it be nice if church members knew that this is something their pastor needs to take advantage of yeah wouldn't it be nice to know if the members of a church told the pastor look at we need to we want you to go away for a while. We, you know, we want you to re-energize. And this and is what they, we're yeah, and they should understand that even if they looked at it, their pastor from a total selfish perspective, like they're just looking to get the most mileage out yeah. of their pastor. Right. Um, yes, yeah, send him on a vacation, tell him to unplug, yeah, yeah. and uh, let him get rejuvenated and get strengthened. Sure. You know, again, you know, people joke, you know, about the one day a week thing. Man, you know, it must be nice. And... Um, you know, I always laugh. Hey, yeah, it's great. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but I have said before, well, you know, at any time in the state of New York, you can find 20 minimum Baptist churches looking for a pastor. Yeah. So why don't you fill out an application? Yeah, yeah, we'll, yeah. we'll send your application, yeah. <laughs> you know? And I think like right now, 
at at the moment in New York, uh, there's well over 20. There's so many churches, you know, looking for a pastor. So if you're listening, you have a pastor, you know, yeah, praise God. And yeah, take care of the one you got. And and yeah, you want them to be healthy and invigorated. Um, And there's a principle in sports too. You know, and I pay attention to um, athletes and high performing, um, high performers in different sports. They, they have built in rest and their rest is every bit as important as the exercise, yeah. you know? So yeah, we ought to have a built-in rest. Amen. So Leading on Empty by Wayne Cordiero. And, man, if you're in the if, – if you got any access at all to eBay, I think I got mine for like 5 or $6 on yeah. eBay, free shipping. Yeah. eBay's amazing. So you, you can get these all day long on eBay. And it reminded me – and I pulled it out of the back here. Uh, Paul Chapel wrote a book. It's called Stewarding Life, and it is excellent. And it and it's right along the same lines as Leading on Empty. And he gives a personal testimony there. It's very candid. Um, Paul Chapel's an an animal man. He's a beast. He's like a robot. I see. You know, basically started that church. We took over a church with ten members, no building. Uh, and here, all these years later, it's only been like thirty five years, but he's massive church, I think $70 million in property, something like that, just a beautiful facilities and Bible college and and uh, has been able to build a great work. Well, at some point, I want to say it's probably 10 years ago, they're in the midst of one of their building programs. He thought he was having a heart attack, and they rushed him off an ambulance and got to the hospital. And same as this writer, this Wayne Cordero, he, the same thing. He thought he was having a heart attack. Yeah. It's actually an anxiety attack. Okay. And uh, so Brother Chapel goes through his um, his testimony there about the whole thing. And he, I know he took a sabbatical and it was out west at a farm and just um, counseling, different things. And he has a lot of different principles in there for pastors on how to steward life. And that's yeah. a, those two books dovetail together very nice. The whole point of the books, obviously, is to embrace those principles so that you don't end up with the anxiety attack. Yeah. And along the way, you'll you'll have a better ministry, a stronger ministry, a fresher ministry. Yeah, and everyone will. Be the and benefit. I'll give you I'll give you a little example because I just got done running a half marathon on Saturday, yeah. and I'm not like a big runner, um, but I I do like the test of a half marathon. It's yeah. 13 miles, and um, you know you gotta you gotta get a program, work your program, let your program work for you, and. I know two Saturdays out from the half marathon, I was at the gym. I was working out at the CrossFit gym. I was, you know, uh, sweating, working out real hard. And I asked one of the gals there who's a triathlete. Now, tri- triathlons are you swim, I think it's 2.5 miles, then you bike 112 miles, and then you run 26.2 miles wow. all in one day. Yeah. And so. I'm asking her, I said, hey, I got a half marathon coming up in two weeks from today, and I'm going to do my long run today. How, how far should I go? And she said, and again, we're, I already worked out hard. She said, oh, you got to run 10 miles today. He said, because you you got to start winding down before the race. And I know that the week of the race, you run just a little bit. You don't have any vigorous runs, but you need that rest, that rest cycle. So on the race day, you're ready to go. 
So the hardest work is really ultimately two weeks out from the race. Now, the next Saturday, you had to run eight miles, and then then you almost take the week off of running, and then you run that half marathon. And such as is with life is that you rest actually so you can put out more work. Yeah. And yeah. so th there's that cycle of rest and output. And so here's another illustration from the book, but I can, I can give personal illustration on race day. So race day, man, I'm pounding down water and I got stuff I'm putting in, the, you know, water, you know, keep me extra hydrated race day. Um, and then before I ran, one of the guys was with me, Hey, do you want any goos? These goos are like carbohydrates oh. and they got like potassium, magnesium and all these, um, you know, replacing anything that you'd sweat out. Uh -huh. And, um, no, 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 I'm fine. So I put myself a couple of goos in my pockets. I only need two. Uh -huh. I need to take one every 45 minutes of running to replenish the carbohydrates that I'm okay. losing. And then also while you're running those little water stations, if you're smart, I don't care if you don't feel thirsty. Oh, okay. You don't drink when you're thirsty. If you, if you start getting thirsty, you're already dehydrated. Yeah. So you need to drink a little bit. And he makes mention of that too. It's like, and he talks about a runner is that you drink before you get thirsty to keep hydrated. And the same thing with the ministry, you rest, you don't wait till you're about dead yeah, yeah. and then rest. And so I, I'm running, I think I was about mile eight or something. And I was running with this fella, Jeremiah. Now Jeremiah is 165 pounds. I'm 205 pounds. I'm a lot heavier than Jeremiah. He's built like a runner. Okay. And um, he, he's about seven miles, about seven miles, seven, eight miles. He said, hey, do you have any extra goos? I said, <laughs> you should have asked me at the beginning because I got some back in my bag. Um, so I squirt some goo in my mouth <laughs> on my second packet, and I, like, hand it back to him and said, here, you can have the rest of this. And um, so we get done with the race. And he says, you know, I started, I started cramping. He said, but I think that goo helped alleviate my cramp. And, you know, the moral of the story is, like, he waited until he started yeah. cramping before he asked for my goo. Or at the beginning of the race, I was, I was handing out goo to whoever <laughs> <laughs> wanted it. So the same way in the ministry is, like, you have to take those rests and also those breaks, even if you think you don't need it yeah. for yeah. that energy output. And you'll actually be more productive uh, for having taken uh, those breaks, those rests, you know, one day off a week, you're unplugging, going hunting, going golfing, um, fishing or whatever replenishes you. You're taking that, that diet and yeah. exercise. Another tip I think he has that's really good is he says, sleep in. And here's how you sleep in. And I have, I have like preached this at, at my church before. Nothing productive ever happens really past 8 o'clock at night for most people. Okay. It's, you're mostly wasting your time. Yeah. Like you could, unfortunately, like now we have these screens and you can stare at a screen way past your brain's ability to like have read a book yeah. or have a conversation. There's no energy at all. No, yeah. you're just staring at a screen yeah. and it's just blank space, you know. Um, he says, go to bed at 8 p.m. And he says, wake up at 5. That's nine hours of sleep. And I've heard it said before, set an alarm to go to sleep, not to wake uh, up. 
Interesting. Because I guarantee if I went to bed at eight, I would probably actually be up at like four. Yeah. But I would be up with bells on. Yeah. Eight o'clock, go to bed earlier. Yeah. Go to bed earlier. And you'll get the rest that you need. So don't stay up late. Yeah. That was another key in that book. Yeah, and the Bible has a lot about a quiet time is great in the morning. See me, seek me early. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and, of course, that's magnified in both of these books yeah. is that, um, you know, your number one calling yeah. is to be with the Lord. Yeah. And uh, he saved you and called you to be with him primarily. And so, yeah, find rejuvenation and rest in him. Yeah, it's very, yeah, yeah very good. I, I enjoyed it. You know, and another thing, too, he said that um, relations break down when you're depleted. He talked about the relationship, like, with a husband and wife. I think, And he said something about, like, guys get in trouble morally a lot of times because there's a relationship breakdown, but they're still interested in the physical attribute or physical relations. Okay. okay? And so then he says the less emotional communication is bet you know the better for them when they're when they're getting burnt out. Yeah. They don't want to emotionally connect anymore. Yeah. And no, people get in trouble too. You get you know, I think the enemy is much more successful at no matter how he's attacking us when we're tired. Absolutely we're exhausted. You know, you just don't have the energy to, to battle. It's no. easier to give in. Give in to the flesh. Give in to the enemy. And we're a trichotomy and it's all connected. Yeah. A lot of times we try to hyper divide spirit, soul, and body. Yeah. But they're all interwoven. In, in fact, you know, even because people talk about the kingdom of God is not meat or drink, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. I said, well, what's the temple of the Holy Spirit? Is it your heart? <laughs> like, no, it's your body. So if your body, because you know how, like, if you have, if you have a bad cold, it, it, you feel... Now, we shouldn't judge everything on feelings, but even you feel less spiritual. Now, sometimes that can be deceptive. But, yeah, if you're run down physically, a lot of times that can open you up yeah. um, to all sorts of things. I, I remember a pastor in Bible college telling us, guys, you know, it's late at night, and you're out making visits, and you're just worn out, you're just tired. He's like, man, just go home. Yeah. Yeah, just go home, so... But anyway, that's our book report. That's it. I'm looking that. forward to reading that one by Campbell or Chapel. Yeah. Chapel. Yep. And I'm going to let you take that with you. It, and it's it's going to be like an amen to this. Amen. Good. And then, you know, if you're, yeah. So both those books, Storting Life, Paul Chapel. Again, that's another one that's been out for some years. So I'm sure you can get that on eBay. Uh, eBay is like my friend. And I get all my, like pretty much all my books on eBay. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I got this leading on empty just this week. So it's been good. Thanks for recommending it. My pleasure. I'm glad you got something for it. That's going to be a good message. Is that next week? Yeah. Yeah. Church, yeah. Church planners. Yeah. I want to talk, talk about that. Incorporate yeah. that. That's yeah. tough. Uh, that's a great topic. I mean, people yeah. in ministry need to know the, about the it. The poor you have with you always. Yeah. 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 They'll be there when you get back from vacation or your day off. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be there waiting for you. Yeah. Uh, hey, where can people find you at? I'm a hard guy to find. Yeah. <laughs> I really, you know, I have a website that I think it's still up and running, but uh, I don't post my schedule on it or anything. Okay. Uh, if, if somebody wanted to have you in, they can just call me. 
Yeah, that'd probably be the best. My, <laughs> okay. my sending church is Pastor Ron Ralph, uh-huh. Carthage, Tennessee. That's Cornerstone Baptist Church. Okay. But uh, yeah, if you're brother, watching this podcast, you know who Jack Young is. So just yeah, Lighthouse Bible Baptist Church. You can check out our channel on YouTube, and Brother Angusath is on there three times. It is phenomenal. Very very good. Uh, he knows the Bible very well. Does a great job uh, preaching the Bible on just uh, like t- I love your handling of scriptures and uh, topically is good covering. And you know, I told the people Sunday. I said it's funny because why he's making that pottery. It's very relaxing, but yet at the same time, when he's preaching, it's super convicting. So being relaxed and convicted <laughs> at the same time. And he said, yeah, he says, you know, the, the pottery on the wheel, you know, let your guard down. Yeah. <laughs> and he's, he's, it does kind of occupy your mind or hypnotize you to it, some degree. It, it really, yeah, it, it really does. It does lower most people's defenses. Oh, yeah. Uh, instead of them thinking, objecting to what I might be saying, they're just kind of busy watching. Yeah, no, it's it's. It's very um, soothing or something to watch you do that. And then, you know, you were, you're preaching right to us. Yeah. And, um, it, yeah, at the same time. And, it, yeah, it's it's wonderful. There's the Lord. Wonderful ministry. Well, I know he's ever, got a full schedule, too, so. Yep. Yep. But I'm always looking for churches that want to uh, get reminded of how to prepare for the judgment, judgment seat of Christ. Judgment seat of Christ. Amen. Hey, appreciate you. Sorry, I, t- I talked most of the time. Oh, I'm enjoying it. <laughs> That's right. what we're here for. All right. Hey, God bless you, Brother Angus. Okay. Thank, Thank you so much for listening today to the Pastoral Thoughts Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, please subscribe to this podcast. And if you can, leave us a five-star rating on your podcast app. We'd appreciate that very much. We'd love to hear from you. You can reach out to us by emailing us at pastoralthoughtsmail at gmail.com. And you can find out more about us at pastorjack.org. God bless you and have a wonderful day.